And that's the pros and cons of opening up the marketplace and, and getting out of just sticking with the mainstream, you know, big four lenders yeah. where you're limited, limited in what you could do. Then suddenly all these extra players coming in and finding different ways to obtain finance and mm. you know, getting it from overseas, bond markets from overseas and attracting new money in and, and they weren't under the same regulation as the big banks so they could just go wild and the banks didn't like it. They didn't like that kind of competition and that's where the, the pressure really started to become, hang on, hang on, we want to compete fairly, help us out and what do you know, things start to change. You're listening to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard. Here's your host, Tabitha Bright. Hello and welcome to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard where I get to speak to property investors from around Australia about their investing journey. My name's Tabitha Bright and I'm Head of Coaching here at Positive Real Estate where we help people build wealth through property. With over 8,000 clients across Australia and New Zealand, there are some incredible stories to tell which hopefully make your investing journey that little bit easier and will inspire you along the way. So my guest today is Scott McLean and we discuss why getting a cheap interest rate may not always serve you and why selecting a broker that understands building a property portfolio is critical to your success and outside of the norm. So enjoy this conversation with Scott. Hey everyone, Tab here, Head of Coaching, Tab of the Bright, Head of Coaching, Positive Real Estate with our next episode of the podcast. So today I have our finance, uh, Head of Finance, um, Scott McLean, Finance expert extraordinaire. <laughs> He's done 23 years in uh, in finance and he heads up our team here at Positive Real Estate, part of our six-star team of professionals and experts, part of who you need in your team uh, when we're looking to build our investing career. So uh, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tab. Really looking forward to it. Very excited. 23 years is a bit embarrassing. Uh, surely I'm not that old. But really looking forward to it, Tab, and great to be part of it. Ah, wonderful. So I like to interview uh, some of our internal teams. So you guys get a bit of an inside look at the team, what they do, um, why it's important, and um, and some stories. Because over the years, like I've been investing since my 20s. Scott, Scott I'm a bit older than you, I've, um, I think. Can we ask your age? Is that rude? No, you, you can ask. I'm Doesn't taking a hold. Tell you. <laughs> no, I'm, 40, I'm 49. Right, so I am. I'm, I'm a close to half a decade older than you, so I can, um, I can claim some seniority. Okay. <laughs> and that alone, and that alone. <laughs> Uh, but um, where I was going with that, I've been investing uh, since my 20s. Scott, you're probably similar. You've had the long-standing finance career. Um, and so over that time, uh, both Scott and I have seen the finance world change incredibly, not only due to technology, but you know, mm -hmm. due to market pressures, GFCs, mm -hmm. you name it. Um, and I remember, I don't know about you, Scott, the days when... Um, no doc and low doc loans were around. Um, oh and... yes, I remember Tab. We were very popular <laughs> all of a sudden. Very popular when they came about, <laughs> and, and they were awesome. I remember literally, and I hope I'm not incriminating myself here. I remember like <laughs> literally getting a bit of paper. Um, I had a company I was investing with a 
<laughs> I'd write down what I predicted my income was going to be and I'd include the capital growth I was projecting across my portfolio. I'd write that number down and then I'd be able to get lending on it. It was a simple Amazing. <laughs> oh, how times have changed. <laughs> oh, how times have changed. And I wonder if that process had anything to do with why things had to change. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe, and maybe. remember asset lending. Like you just literally go, here's an asset. I, <laughs> I can put, what, 70%, uh, 30% in deposit. Okay. Will you lend? Yeah, sure. Why not? Like, woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't it have to have income. Of- yeah. <laughs> It was very rare to get people to say no back then. It was like horrific to say no because everyone's looking for a reason to say yes. <laughs> and one mm. last memory from me. Do you remember the Equity Mate ads from um, CVA? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, the, I don't know if any of you guys remember that, but uh, I think it was CVA uh, and they had these ads running on the telly and it was, um, you know, if you've got equity in your home, come talk to us. Equity, you know, how did you buy your boat? Equity, mate. It was, it was, <laughs> pro- it was prolific, uh, right? Mm. Yep. They couldn't give no. money away. <laughs> oh, it was, it was crazy. I mean, you haven't mentioned either. What about the 120 um percent lvrs you know that were going on you know that you actually could yeah borrow more than the asset value 110 120 you know when it really got right up there pre-gfc yeah um, yeah that was crazy crazy you back have then to have a deposit you just what you, yeah you, well, you, and you got more than yeah. uh what the asset was worth so it was yeah it was some interesting competitive ways and that's the pros and cons of opening up the marketplace and and getting out of just sticking with the mainstream, you know, big four lenders yeah. where you're limited limited in what you could do. Then suddenly all these extra players coming in and finding different ways to obtain finance and mm. you know, getting it from overseas, bond markets from overseas and attracting new money in and and they weren't under the same regulation as the big banks. So they could just go wild and the banks didn't like it. They didn't like that kind of competition and that's where the, the pressure really started to become, hang on, hang on, we want to compete fairly, help us out and what yeah. do you know, things start to change. And remember when they just about uh, wiped out the broking world? Do you remember they, um, yeah, with do the rem- Royal Commission and they made it, yeah. I do I remember? My goodness, <laughs> do I remember? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it look, it was a very interesting moment in 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 the world, really, because mm-hmm. there were many other markets that still to this day, New Zealand's one of them that looks at Australia and goes, How come the Australian broker market is one of the only markets in the world that get paid a recurring or a trail commission or a loan book commission? As long as that loan is, is staying with that lender. Yeah. And the jealousy from overseas is crazy. But the flip side is the lenders are saying, yeah, that's a good point. Why can't we get rid of it and then only pay an upfront commission just like the rest of the world? Yeah. Um, and uh, what we saw is that the marketplace um, with not just the number of brokers and the big broking groups out yeah. there um, were able to put enough pressure and customers were saying, hang on, no, we don't want to get rid of brokers. And one of the reasons is because of that yeah. revenue stability 
from the Training Commission. We saw with the pandemic as an, a prime example of one of the rare businesses in the marketplace, in the economy, that was able when upfront business was coming down because the lockdowns and so forth, their lot businesses, small businesses, people's homes and things like that were able to still have revenue coming in to the household because of a recurring trail commission. Yeah. So stability-wise, it stabilised an economy uh, when it really needed a hand from somewhere, you know. Yeah. So there are other intrinsic values which have sort of justified it. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a very unique experience um, how it's been targeted <laughs> by banks top. still. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there were a lot of petitions going around because um, from our mm. point of view as an investor, the benefit to having um, a broker, and I got Scott to give me the definition of a broker because I wanted to make sure I was using the right terminology mm. um, because sometimes, you know, we can tweak terminology or use it when it's not 100% accurate. Um, so, you know, a broker is basically somebody that's writing your loan um, that has independent access to multiple um, lending, lending options. You're not just going directly to, obviously, the lender. Um, and that is important for us for a number of factors. Um, as investors, there's a few key things we want to avoid, right, Scott? We want to avoid cross-securitization. Um, there's the all monies clause. Uh, we want to have access to multiple lenders because they all service your situation differently. Correct. So Correct. Tell me a little no. bit about that. Like, what are the variations mm. in the in the market? Because it, it can be massive, can't it? The rate that they put on top and take me through so some of that. So extreme. Uh, it, it's quite bizarre. And the change that and how it can happen is so fast. Yeah. And, uh, and it quite literally, you think of any business and the market forces that exist. I'm just going to talk some basic ones first, for example. Yeah. One is the most common thing everyone talks about with lending is the interest rate. That's the one topical item that makes the news and so forth. Yeah. So lenders acutely aware that if they have a lower interest rate, that usually attracts business. Yeah. And there's and then they'll find there's a price point where, oh, if we've set the interest rate too low, we have a tsunami of customers coming oh. at us. Okay. And then they have to make a decision and go, okay, we don't have enough staff to actually uh, process, or sorry, team members, to process <laughs> that volume of business coming through. So therefore, what lever can we tweak to actually slow that down? And suddenly behind the scenes, they might go, hmm, yeah. to get that interest rate, what you might do, you now have to have a 40% deposit, for example. Uh -huh. So only you have to have a 60% LVR loan to value ratio to be able to get that interest rate. And that's their way of covering off, especially if it's in the media or on TV or, or social media, that way they can allow to keep it and not have it as misleading information, which yeah. there's been a lot of smacks uh, over the wrists over the years. Yes. Um, but that's one lever right there. And that could be a mainstream lender that today they go, oh, look at that rate. Yep. Or cash back $5,000. go, bring it. Let's go there. We want $5,000 cash as well. And then you walk over and then you find it. Oh, but basically you need to be earning this yep. amount of, you know, extreme amount of dollars or the LVR has to be really low or you have to bring your business banking over. There's all these things that aren't in the televised or, you know, asterisk scenario yeah. to get those scenarios. 
So, and the other debt to income ratio is the, the most famous new lever that's been turned up over the, over the last uh, 12, 18 months in particular. Yeah. So debt to income ratio. Mm. Yeah, debt to income ratio. And you'll see uh, lenders and economists start to talk about that more and more. They just want to make sure it doesn't get out of control. Um, that if the, the debt to income ratio is, is too, too wide, they go, oh, not too tight, we're too high risk, more likely something to go wrong if something changes. Yeah. And they'll, they'll pull back. So that's a couple of levers just there in itself that can be the difference on what looks like a good rate, but you might not be able to qualify for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and same whether it be loan to value ratio or the, the ratio to your income. And then when I say income too, Tab, this is the other thing. Uh, it's what you can substantiate is the other challenge that uh, a lot of people realize too, that you yeah. might know, especially as a self-employed person, oh, I can get my revenue here, but you, you've got some other mechanisms in place for uh, perhaps some tax strategies that are going yeah. on. And yeah. therefore that then goes against how you're trying to say how much income's available. So there's some things like that that, um, you know, the lenders will have in their, in their pocket to then drill down a bit harder to um, not allow as much flexibility, even though you know you've got good incomes coming through, yeah. your house, business, things are stable, yeah. um, but there's ways to then sort of put you back and make you feel like, oh, geez, I'm just lucky to be here. Like, yeah. And that's, that's some of the language they can use sometimes. Yeah, and there's some there's some sort of key rules to investing, like where you can keep your um, have you know look at using different lenders. Um, and yeah, yeah, just to just to give you a little bit of um, um, a safety net around cross securitization, because uh, tell us a little bit about cross securitization. I mean, essentially, it's where the bank, the lender, will just put all all of your properties into one big bucket. <laughs> Yeah. so to speak and there's a there's a um a loan amount that is across all the portfolio you have a certain lvr so a certain debt to the value of the properties mm -hmm. um but then if two of the properties go down in value and one of them goes up and you want to get the equity out of that one then you may have a challenge right because the overall portfolio yeah, is, correct. Is, so there's pros yeah. and cons. There's a time and place when cross-securitization is the only option available to yeah. keep it all together. Yeah. Um, but then if you're someone that's looking at changing and updating regularly, then you're like, oh, last thing we want to do because to undo it is quite messy or can be quite messy. Yeah. Um, so I've got a scenario that, you know, at the moment where yeah. um, someone's cross-collateralized, they've bought an investment property, They've put their mother in it, who's not retired yet, but she's mid-70s, uh, very close, probably imminent to the retirement. And um, they're, they're in a situation where the, their owner-occupier house was in a place that had a uh, not a good neighbour, let's just put it that way. So they wanted to get out and, and leave. Yeah. Um, now, in, in the process of doing that, um, they can't just sell and then uh, and then and get out so easily because both properties uh, are connected. Are locked and, together. And yeah. That's right. And because they used equity from the owner-occupier to get it, the lender said, well, if you want to keep that other one, you now need to pay us. And, and pay I, I that debt down. Yeah, and get that LVR to the place where we'd be comfortable with it in isolation. So they thought we'd made a profit on our owner-occupier, mm -hmm. sold it for 620 
um, and I, I can't remember if it was like fives, hundreds or somewhere where they originally bought it from. So they're thinking, oh, here's 120 grand I can use to the next. They go, no, we need 90 of it to go to this other uh, property. Yeah, so you don't control your equity basically when you're cross-secured. Um, when you've got a much lower LVR, so when your loans yeah. are all paid off, um, then, you know, sometimes it's a strategy if you need some deposit funds. It doesn't help servicing, though, does it, when you're cross-secured? No, not necessarily. It, it's more about the just the, the bank just wants to feel safe, that yeah. if uh, the ability to repay, is there enough equity there to feel comfortable with? Yeah. And that's all they want. They want that comfort level. Yeah. Um, and they try and see if there's a high-risk scenario in there. Yeah. And it, between the two, they look pretty secure, safe. They're okay. They're okay yeah. to let it go. Um, but, yeah, when it comes to an investment property where people are trying to get a high LVR as they can to minimise or maximise the, the tax benefits, et cetera, yeah. on the interest, uh, then they're like, whoa, hang on a second, no, we now, because you're not, you haven't got that equity because you're removing that security, we need that money to come back in and get the LVR and so we're comfortable. pay it cut. down, yeah. yeah. So sometimes you're not in the position you think you're in um, to yes. be able to move forward. So that's why when you're in the acquisitions phase of your investing, so the early days, you're still buying the number of properties that you need in order to hold for the long term. Um, yeah. And if you are utilizing getting equity back out and all of that stuff, then cross-securing can really slow you down. Um, later on, it can be a strategy if necessary, um, but uh, generally speaking, the rules for investing are try to avoid cross-securing. Um, obviously, mm. everyone's circumstances are different. Yeah. Uh, but this is why, once again, you need, you need a broking team that understand investing to get the best result because... What I've found in my journey with um, brokers is a lot of the broking world um, will focus where the most business is, right? Because it makes mm. sense. Would you agree? <laughs> and mm. and that tends to be around people buying their first home, upgrading their home, maybe buying one property, uh, one investment property, um, mm. which is often cross secured, uh, mm. and. Um, because that is where the most business is. And then you get uh, people like Scott and his team who specialize in helping people build a portfolio. So they have to understand, they work really closely with the coaching team. They have to understand what a client is trying to achieve. We look at your maximum servicing. And if there's challenges around that, then we work together as a team to find out, well, what are the levers that um, you yeah. guys can pull based mm. on the circumstances that change constantly, mm. right? So how often would lenders update their servicing calculators? Probably in the last <laughs> five minutes, uh, probably would have been three. Oh, look, it, it's um, very regularly, like incredibly regular. I mean, constant, it can happen. It? Things change yeah. daily. It's it's that quick. Um uh, lenders will typically try to just make sure it meets the criteria on a monthly level uh, when they meet, especially after the RBA meet and, and see if there's any things they need to take into consideration. They check the bond market, the price of money at the moment, those things to forecast if they need to slow down or if they need to accelerate, those type of things. So those servicing calculators can change literally daily. Daily, um, yeah. And th they're only really locked in once you've got an application ready to go, yeah. then it, then the clock starts and you've got a 90-day period to lock in that 
that rate. Scenario. Mm. Right. And so once again, you'd want a team that have access to as many lenders as possible, because yeah. if every if every lender is different, Correct. then there may be a lender that is more likely to take on your circumstances. So if you're self-employed, if you've got four kids, if whatever it is that is the issue, mm. then, um, then if you're going direct to the bank, you're going to one lender whose circumstances may or may not be, um, you know, uh, looking for your type of business. And so this is where we get all the second tier lenders and other people come to the party, right? And mm. so what Scott's team's job is, is to know all of these lenders and all of this, all of their, be up to date with their um, calculators, which lender will suit this client's position. So it's not always about the interest rate. It it's might never be, about the interest rate. <laughs> never. It that's, might that's, be that as an investor, yeah, yeah, we make a business decision, right? Mm. To pay 0.25 more, 0.5 more, because the lender will lend us 200 gram more that over time will, um, with capital growth, will give us a far better result with our investing than having scrimped and saved on 0.5 of a percent and bought a substandard property because it was it was a lower price, yeah? Tab, if I could give just one, one example of this scenario. Yes. I'm going to use a big four bank, and this is not yep. uh, bank bashing because obviously we need them. Uh, but just one example of one of the big yep. fours, I'll, I'll just yep. make a random name up, Westpac. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now if you're an existing customer, um, which is fine, uh, and if you've had a, a loan with them for you know, at least over 12 months, or like 18 months, uh, you're, the price of that money that you had at that point was the cheapest it's, it's been in the history, very low. So... In that time, as we know, rates have gone up considerably, yes. um, effectively, and therefore the price of money if you bought today is higher than what it was a few uh, a year plus ago. Yeah. Now, as the banks know that there's a lot of lenders, uh, sorry, clients that are coming out of fixed rates. They've got them really cheap and they're about to come out and more coming out yep, next month, February. Yep. So that's the big thing. They're coming out of 2%. They're like, oh, how good were we? And now they're going to get the shock of their life as they start to come out and seeing a five, maybe even higher, depending on their circumstances. Yeah. Um, now, what's happened in that time, in just the last two weeks, the uh, Westpac have increased how they value your expenses, your living expenses. Oh. So they have a standard. You've got the HEM that, that basically has a benchmark of what they think that your uh, living expenses are. That has gone up. 28% just like a week ago, week or two ago. So someone who thought, oh, yeah, they, they see me as a good customer. Yeah, I, you know, I've got the ratio. I should service comfortably within like a week, suddenly 28%. So four times inflation, it's gone up uh, to get an indication that they're trying to slow things down about when you come out or who comes out about how you qualify all of a sudden. Right. So... The big thing to take from there and why you use a broker, because you might have your, you, you might have been Westpac all your life and go, oh, I don't want to change anything. That yeah. one decision might suddenly make you from what look might be servicing comfortably. Got, Actually, I've got a, a, a loan that's coming up or a property I'm about to purchase. You've gone from this is easy to something like, hey, I'm, I'm floating. My eyes are just above water. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be that way. 
It's just that lender's made a decision to slow things down. Yeah. Then there'll be another lender that go, we're not putting up the living expenses. We're comfortable at this level. Yeah, we need insurer more business. Says, correct. Our insurer says we've got a good level ratio of uh, debt to and equity in, in our space. Yeah. yeah, let's go for it. And their interest rate doesn't have to be too pointy, but it could be close, close to that, that cheap rate, but you'll get through much easier and you'll get the outcome. And that's the thing we're trying to tell people. Don't focus on the interest rate because it's a bit of an illusion. There's yeah. cost, there's other criteria behind it. Focus on if it's the property you're after, what do I need to do to get to that property? And the clock starts when you, and what you need to get from it before you move to the next phase and yeah. have a lender that works with you and make sure the broker absolutely understands with your coach what your strategy is to make sure you've got uh, a lender that's not going to burn you when you come out the other side or make changes either. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was just one example. Yeah, I no fees to point and out. penalties if you try to get out of it. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. Typically, yeah. when people uh, refinance, for example, within two years, lenders yeah. get a little bit, we don't like it because they, they say we don't make money, enough money in that first two years. So they want people to stay longer than two and they'll incentivize yeah. um, to do that. But yeah. um, I mean, some lenders are now putting in the, they're going to have an increase of 0.1%, uh, sorry, decrease in your interest rate by 0.1% uh, over the life of your loan. Um, which is another, yeah, but they'll start the rate up higher. But, <laughs> to accommodate that. God, it, it's, yeah, that's just it's, it's, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like they'll say there's no fees. Come to us because we don't charge your fees. And you're like, yes, well, I hate fees. Great. If you don't if you don't like fees and you go somewhere with no fees, well, the interest rate will be higher because it'll cover yeah. it there. Yeah, so I'll give you a low interest their, rate, yeah. but then I'm going to charge the fees over here to, yeah, so it's not always interest rate. And I know a lot of people yep. when they first start investing um, are very interest rate conscious. And it's not that you don't take that into account, but you have to look at what else is part of that. Like, does the, the loan come with an offset account that you want? Does it, you know? That's um, right. Yeah. You'll, you'll get those cheap honeymoon rates, they call them. That Look how low that is. I'm all, all there. And it's, can I get an offset? No. Uh, well, but can I get maybe a redraw then? No. And you're like, what can I do? Um, just sit, let it forget and just pay it off over 30 years and we're happy. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, doesn't quite work with my strategy. So that's why, yeah, yeah interest rate can be a big distraction uh, if you, you make the wrong decision on that yeah, decision. Yeah, costly. We'll, very yeah. costly later, yeah. Yeah, interesting. And even with the honeymoon rates, you and without teaching all of you guys to suck eggs, because I know you're yeah, not dark. But but with honeymoon rates, I remember as a young person when I bought my first property, um, interest rates I was paying about thirteen percent, I think, as a honeymoon rate. I got thirteen percent, thirteen point nine nine percent honeymoon rate. Uh, yeah. And it was for 12 months and the market was, you know, 16% or 17% or something like that. And I know people have seen it higher. 91. And, um, and I remember think, working my numbers out on being able to afford it at 13% because that's what I, I desperately wanted this property. And I was making an emotional decision. I was young and, and I thought I'll work it out when the time comes <laughs> that it goes up. And it nearly crippled us. Um, yeah. And so you have to be aware that the honeymoon rates are only for a short period of time, but you need to look at what does it then go up to because the bank is going to recoup their, 
the lenders, I should say, are going to recoup mm. their costs. Our businesses, we need them. We need them to make a profit. It would be um, unsustainable to not have that as an option uh, if there were no lenders in the market making profit. However, mm. we want to understand what our risks are and mitigate accordingly and make good decisions around our lending so that we're not just focusing on what the banks or lenders are going, hey, come over here. This is bright and shiny. Yeah. Ignore all of this stuff over here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you've just got a lot of credibility tab right there when you just admitted that you had a 13% honeymoon rate. Uh, there'll be a lot of, especially baby boomers out there that tell us all the time, <laughs> I remember when rates were 17, 18% in 1991. And what yeah. are you kids complaining about, you know? You know, but you know they forget to mention they had a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar debt, and their their kids are now talking about a million dollars. You know, first home. Correct, buyer, you know? correct. I think the first property I bought, and I know people have bought. I've spoken to people that were buying properties at ten grand a pop. Oh. Um, but yeah, yeah, going right back. But um, I think the house I bought was a hundred and thirty-five thousand. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, and I no, had a ninety-five percent, no, ninety-seven percent mortgage on that. Yeah, Capital MI, right? At thirteen percent, yeah. so you know, it it seemed like a lot to me back then. But then, you know, you look at my, I think I was earning four hundred and sixty-nine dollars a week. I think was my wage. I worked for one of the banks. Um, yeah, yeah, and they didn't give Staff me rate. special <laughs> rates back then either. The, <laughs> no, I think a lot of credibility tab when you've you've actually done that, and as a young person as well, I think that's uh, that shows um, you know sometimes it's just about getting into the marketplace, just yeah. get in, yeah. and then you work through it. But work through with people that make sure you've got the finance, which is just doing its job. It's just a leverage item yeah. to get you to the next point and to make sure you're not overcommitted or what do you need to do to actually get yeah. that, obtain that finance in the current marketplace. It's just yeah. a slight adjustment, but if I can just elaborate a further, yeah, please. time is everyone's friend. So if you if you know you've got Christmas and things coming up and you're spending and want to go nuts, but you want to purchase or get into the market, the sooner you can show in your spending history is actually very stable. It's not erratic all over the place, consistent. And if you can get not only one month, but three months looking steady as she goes, the lenders go, we like that client. We we, we don't see a lot of flopping around and erratic as spend, as spending. So we'll take that as solid um, and stable type of customer. They love it. So that's just something to think about in that scenario too, as you, you, you improve your options, especially if you know something big is coming up um, and, and how you cover that off um, to make sure you can do that, but then show your consistency and stability and, and the lenders will love it. You know, you'll have more options available too. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. And I think too, the good news in all of this is that finance changes so rapidly that if at the moment you are being told no, um, then make sure that you A, talk to brokers. When I qualify yeah. brokers, like POS money are fantastic, positive money. And um, <laughs> thank you. Positive. Um, yeah, positive. <laughs> just our internal lingo. Um, uh, yeah. So positive money do a fantastic job. Um, I always ask any broker that I look at using, like, what is your experience with people that have 
five or six or 10 properties, how much of your loan book does that make up? Have you written loans for people that have multiple properties? Uh, because, um, you know, if they haven't and you're trying to get to a place where you're going to have a portfolio with multiple properties, mm. they need to understand how to structure each loan to get you the best result over the long term. And hence our team, our clients um, tap in largely to our six star team and recommended um, broking teams. So um, awesome to have you here, Scott. We were going to talk... Um, very briefly about some funny stories, but I think I think we've really covered off the crux of um, what I wanted to cover. And I think just before you, I let you speak, I let you speak. I'm going to get in really fast. Um, <laughs> uh, Scott and I are both like hawkers. Allegedly, and we thought this might take take a little while. This podcast, but I would like to say for those of you that are uh, concerned or stressed that right now you don't service. Make sure you get an opinion from what I will call a quality experience broker. Um, and also just keep checking in on a regular basis. I would check in every three months and get somebody to do your servicing uh, because finance is changing constantly. The second thing I do is, um, sorry, third thing I do is uh, find out from your broking team what is getting in the way of you servicing. Yeah. Um, because sometimes it can be something that's relatively small that you might be able to fix. Like what Scott said, you mm. might just need three months of your, all your bank statements looking super tidy with minimal spending. Mm. And, and no missed payments mm. and no missed payments or anything like that. So it shows that yep. Yep, no after pay. when they come in, yep, there's yep. no red flags. It can be as simple, simple as that. The other thing is, you know, not, changing around your your job to if you know you're you're planning uh, yep. to either change job um, then that will impact if if it's in the same industry uh, same type of role same industry then that can be fine mm -hmm. uh, so if you're in the process of about to to go ahead uh, if you if it turn you turn it over quickly in other words I lost my job on the first of December but I was able to be re-employed by the end of December a lot of them will say, that's fine. That's great. You, you've jumped into something quickly. Yeah. So you don't, you still look stable because you've been jumping into things. That big word stable is across uh, many things mm. in the marketplace that the lenders are looking at. They just want to see. looking for that now. That's exactly right. If you know this change coming, tell your broker. Oh, that's the other thing. Don't hide <laughs> things that you know that you think will might impact your outcome because the broker is not the judge and jury. What the broker is, is on your team at trying to find, okay, well, which lenders are okay with the change or yeah. what's the time frame when they will be okay? So they might say one month is too soon, but we have lenders that will three months, they'll love it. It'll be, it'll be forgotten about, you're totally fine. Um, some There's some lenders that will take one day employment in the new job and oh, consider wow. that income. Yeah. Now, not many people realise that. If you just go to your, your same lender that you've always that. had, Yep. They'll say, no, you can't do it. It's too soon. But there are some lenders that will do one, two days where you can right. just show a contract so letter and you're away. Declaration to your broker. Yeah. Absolutely. So, that yeah, like I said, the broker is your friend to find the solution. They're not the judge and passing judgment on you. They're on your team. Give them as much information as they can, good, bad, or ugly, yep. so they know what they're working with because they'll know which lenders are going to be more favourable 
which lenders are in your sweet spot or wheelhouse, even if it's down to it might be just two lenders, but at least there's two. You know, all you need is one. You know, yeah, which bring because the last thing you want is declines on your file, right? You don't want to have like not given the broker all the information. So they've submitted it somewhere else and then it's come back declined. So then that flags it, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, the, the lender wants to see they can trust the broker as well. So if if you're not telling the broker information and that they put you forward, remember they're they're, they're like your PR team. Yeah. So they're putting you forward and going, listen, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lender. This is why you're going to like this client, Tabitha, for this reason. She's great for this reason. Look at the funds. She's stable. Da, da, da. And then they go, well, why didn't they tell us about this loan over here, this car loan? Or why didn't they tell us about this private school fees over here? You said you didn't tell us that. Are you is there something, something else you're not telling us? Yeah. And, and you don't want that reputation against you as a client, but as well as your broker, especially uh, if you're building a relationship. They know your um, situation really well. Um, yeah, you don't want to damage that for obvious reasons. So yeah. um, it's better to be upfront and they'll work through whatever the, the challenges are yeah. and be able to guide you through and to say, we can't at this date, it's but we can by that date. And these are the things we need to get ready. And at least you know, you work yeah. your strategy, get them in oh, line yeah. and check in and go, yeah, yeah, by the way, just so you know, I did save that or I did pay off that credit card, for example. Yeah. Fantastic. Right, yep. we now we've stepped where we need to be. Now we're about ready to go. That's that's yep. all as simple as it can be. Yeah. Good, because I would say about thirty percent. Oh no, that's probably a bit high. Maybe call it twenty percent of the clients that join our mentoring program to be coached to build a portfolio to create whatever they are that they're trying to achieve, be it income, mm -hmm. retirement, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I would say about 25% of those people um, may have a borrowing challenge or um, a servicing challenge where they don't service even right now. So they've come into the program. We've looked at their situation. You guys have um, analyzed it every which way. And right now there's not a lever we can pull to get them lending. Now it might be, a three-month challenge. It might be a 12-month challenge. Yeah, um, correct. I had one client that was not able to buy a property for five years because we had to sort out a whole raft of stuff for her and she was a single mum on a single income. So there, uh, but then she went on and she bought three in quick succession because we yeah. had a plan. Yeah. And, um, and I've actually interviewed her in another podcast. That's uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren May. So you'll uh, see her there. But it's all about having a plan and knowing your situation because mm. don't let somebody have told you, no, you can't borrow right now. Be your story from here until eternity. It is not the case. It is just, right. I don't borrow right now. What do I have to do to move forward? And what am I prepared to do to move forward? I mean, I've had clients move this was contentious moving with their parents so they could save better i had you know there's you i've had people get a second job we've had clients that have had two or three jobs for a mm. short period of time in order to get the result they wanted and then knock it back so there's a raft of options for people out there so don't let i can't do anything right now stop you from getting in the well to how can i say this don't let that get in the way of you creating your financial future because 
the one thing that is guaranteed is change. Um, and <laughs> it's a good thing when it comes to finance most of the time. There's probably no better time to make sure you've got a broker in your corner to navigate through all the nuances so you don't have to. And to leverage further what you said, Tab, yep. um, there should be no such word as no, replace it with not yet. Yeah. Just not yet. So if, if, the, if that's the case, that way you know there will be a solution. We've got to navigate where which one we're closest to, what's most important, what are the pressures for that particular client with time, for example, what are we working with? Yeah. And then let's get to work. What, what does it need to happen? And, and like we said, even if you take a lender with a higher interest rate, but just for a short period of time, just to complete the scenario of accessing that opportunity, which might be at an amazing price and won't be at that price again, but you got it for a higher interest rate, doesn't mean you're going to have it for 30 years. It might be just for one, two years, maybe. Yep. And then you suddenly and then you you've, got, out. you've yep. got your ducks in a row. I think the other thing too, Tab, with a lot of clients, which is unfortunately reality, is uh, a lot of you know uh, breakups and divorces um, and then suddenly partners go, oh, fact. what am I going to do now? Yeah, It's not the end of the world either. The lenders yeah. are very familiar with this scenario. Yeah. And that's, again, why I come with a broker and go, let's navigate and how we get that um, maybe single applicant now to work through what their scenario is so they can get access to not only funds but property and, and continue a new journey. Yeah, It does exist. Our, our team are very familiar with it and, you know, rather it not be, but glad they are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, please don't ever accept no as the final answer. It yeah. might be a momentary point. Yeah. It's not yet is really the answer. So what do we need to do? Perfect. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good spot to probably wrap it up. Um, I'll ask you my question that I ask everybody on a podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You could travel back in time, get into that little bubble and go back in time uh, to when Scott was 20 years old. Uh, what, advice oh. would, <laughs> what advice would you have for Scott today? Uh, look, and I don't want to sound um, probably too obvious uh, because the, the clientele you've got, but <laughs> oh my God, wouldn't I have been buying any and everything I could property-wise? <laughs> wherever I could. Uh, I think I was living in Hunters Hill in Sydney at the time. Uh, I had a, with like an old two bedroom uh, apartment there, which is a little balcony and uh, it was about hundred meters to the water. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. I wish I didn't sell that. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> don't tell me you sold that. Well, I, I had to because I was moving from Sydney to um, Melbourne to start my first business in Melbourne. Oh. So I needed need capital. And anyway, but the, the short answer, yeah, the 20-year-old self would be, as I can tell my son, who's only six, but <laughs> absolutely get whatever property we can and start the journey as early as you can and start diversifying revenue as early as you can. Because even if you did that for 10 years, that the difference that makes to your life and opportunity by the time you get to 30 compared to starting later in life is astronomically different. <laughs> what was that? Sorry. Nothing. That was just 50. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it's, it, yeah. So start early um, and, and don't be, you're trying to talk to myself and not be arrogant. Like you have to know it all just because you've studied this and you don't have to be the only person who knows things. Talk to others who have done it, as many people as you can, yep. use as much of that information, but the word is action. Just do. Don't put off today. 
um, for tomorrow. Do it today. You will thank you, yourself when you're older. Um, that's <laughs> I probably lived it a little bit too much for the day. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's a perfect note to end on. And it seems to be the theme. I think there's only one or two that I've interviewed that haven't said that same thing. Um, so, you know, it's. They must have wealthy parents then. What was that? They must have had wealthy parents then, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't go back in time, but we but we do get older. So jump in, get started today if you haven't started your journey. And um, I'm sure Scott, myself, and the team, if you're not already a client of positive real estate, would love to assist. So I'll leave it there. Thank you, Scott, so much for your time today. Pleasure, um, Tab. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> good luck, everyone. Have a good Christmas. Bye for now. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Property Investor Tales. Remember to subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode drops. As you can guess, I love hearing people's property investor tales. So if you'd like to share yours, then please get in touch with me via email at propertyinvestortales at positivementor.com.au. We would also love your feedback and I would appreciate a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember, you can watch all of these podcasts over on YouTube at Positive Mentor or at positivementor.com.au. Until then, take care, happy investing, and bye for now.